0: Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa.
1: And I'm Chell. Together, we are The The Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price.
0: Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 3, Episode 18 Bleeding Through. The air date for this episode was April 20th, 2014. 420, blazing, <laughs> blazing. <laughs> the writers for this episode was Jane Espenson and Daniel T. Thompson. The director was Romeo Tyrone. The title card featured a cyclone. We begin in Storybrook at the Mills' home where in front of a mirror Regina is putting on earrings. The doorbell rings and she goes to answer it. She sees nothing but a basket of green apples. Immediately, Zelina appears behind her in the dining room, holding up a glass of wine. She says it's a gift because Regina's red apples are sickly sweet and that she came to give sisterly advice. They bicker back and forth for a bit with Zelina saying envy is just another word for ambition, and Regina hilariously replying accurately, well, that's just not true. You school her, Regina i loved that line so much
2: it made me laugh especially since i literally started to say almost the exact same thing as regina said it
0: i did as well and i was like lynn totally said that <laughs> i was like that is a lynn line if i have ever heard <laughs> it was
2: like it was not exactly what regina said but it was pretty close like i think i was like well that's not even remotely true <laughs> yeah
0: exactly the way that lana delivered that line too it was just like
1: no, you so dumb bitch. No, no, no it's <laughs> not. Lana is so great in this scene. She's great in this episode. I mean, when is she not great? But extra great in this. I feel like, like this great. is an
2: especially good Lana episode, though.
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: she, yeah, she gets extra credit for this one. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, Zelina does, however, get a good zing in when she says that despite having every advantage, Regina still turns her back on every opportunity for happiness.
2: I just want to know if they had to do any sort of noise correction on this scene to cover up the sounds of Zelina just like creaking as she walked around in her weird stiff leather outfit because you know that was an auditory nightmare.
0: Oh, probably. I know. I'm trying to see if no there's no she's just in like there's no credits like for what that is like what that designer is i'm assuming they made i don't know
2: but it's just like the stiffest little leather mini skirt and leather vest as she's like you know walking around the room chewing the scenery i'm like i bet she was creaking the whole goddamn time (laughs) they just put like a whole Uh, bunch of oil all over the Oh, they greased the poor actress up and was like, get in there, kid. Oh, and she's like, it's a paycheck. It's a paycheck. It's a paycheck. <laughs> Remind yourself it's a
0: paycheck. <laughs> Eventually, it is revealed that she actually came to make sure Regina was not at the location where she put her heart, which is where she has Mr. Gold go to acquire at the same time Zelina and Regina are speaking. With a cackle, Zelina then disappears.
2: But not before Regina lobs a knife at her. And honestly, I have a lot of respect for the fact that Regina just straight went, fuck this, I'm gonna do a murder.
0: I mean, she is always gay for murder. She is. She is. is. Meanwhile, in the forest, Robin Hood and his merry men are told by a remorseful but helpless Mr. Gold to give him the heart.
1: Mr. Gold's suit is so upsetting to look at. It's definitely (laughs) covered in bird poop. like has selena just been having him like stand in the field at the farmhouse and pretend to be a scarecrow like how is there so much bird poop on him i I think think so because
0: because it's supposed to be his brain that she's after oh he's a
1: scarecrow oh oh my gosh yeah that's wow
2: so he probably is just having crows poop on him all the (laughs)
1: time yes Wow, that's actually.
2: Oh no, are you begrudgingly giving respect to Once Upon a Time? I am. That was a the, well the, <laughs> yes. poop the, the, the poopy bird suit?
1: You're giving respect for the poopy bird suit? I'm giving respect for the poopy bird suit. By the way, it's so upsetting for him. He's a sharp dressed man who loves to look stylish. So it must Here be doubly hard for me. Poopy Mr. bird suit.
0: Poop suit because it sounds like zoot suit. <laughs> Poop, Poop suit, suit
1: riot. Riot! riot.
2: I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, oh God, we really are married that we both went there at the same time.
0: Oh my God, please. I, I You know, that should be actually one of the bingo squares is like Lynn and Elisa use the same reference. <laughs> Gay. <laughs> When they refuse, and Robin shoots the arrow which never misses, Gold freezes it and aims it directly for Roland. Robin Hood agrees and gives him the heart. Gold apologizes and disappears right before Regina comes onto the scene. Robin profusely apologizes for having given over her heart, but Regina does not blame him as nothing is worth the loss of a child.
1: Regina, look how far you've come! Back in the height of your evil queen days, you were, like, sending new children, like, every Tuesday into a cannibal witch's house just to get you a cursed apple. You've grown so much! So proud of you. So proud. So, so proud.
0: proud. However, realizing she herself is still alive, Regina deduces that Zelina is planning something worse and vows to stop her. Okay, here's the
2: thing, though. This scene is so stupid. Like, that's that's not how it works. Stilskin isn't the one who fired the arrow. He can't pick or change the target or else mm-hmm. it's not an arrow that never misses. This is like playing a really shitty game of make-believe with a sore loser child who is like, well, if you have an arrow that never misses, I have the power to turn into a giant lizard that's immune to arrows and I eat the arrow. <laughs> like this scene is so dumb. I want to get into a fight about it.
1: Yeah. yeah I was like, it can't be an arrow that never misses its target because it just missed. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't make is. sense that Rubble SteelSkins are like, well, now I've changed the target. I'm like, well, you can't. You were the target. And it never you misses. are the target and you didn't fire the arrow. So sit down, Tiffany. <laughs> I've never yelled at a girl like this in my life. Oh, no, the show just lost all the good will it earned with the poops, poop suit scarecrow Poop scare suit riot can't const- save you continuity. now.
2: The poop suit riot can't save you now. <laughs>
0: I agree at your rage. (laughs) I acknowledge your rage and I agree with it. I validate it.
2: Please also appreciate that I committed to this bit so hard that Salem looked at me in disgust and got off my lap. Oh
1: no,
0: no. (laughs) Poor baby.
2: Because he was like, I was sleeping, you shrew.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it ever revealed that Rumble is the one that made that bow and arrow? Because if he is... If he's the maker of it, I can see him like being the only one who could cor- course correct. I mean, I guess, but I still feel like that defeats.
2: But it the defeats whole, the purpose,
0: right? And the fact that we don't know
2: that at this point, of, like there's, it,
0: there is no It would still make it an
2: inaccurate magical weapon because mm-hmm. that means that it could still miss if it meant that there was someone out there essentially with an override switch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like something in here's a liar, basically. Yeah, it can't yeah. be an
1: absolute if there's a killer. Mm-hmm.
2: Well exactly.
0: No, I mean I call lazy writing because whoo, this episode is full of historical con- contradictions.
1: Well
2: sure. Oh yeah. But I mean, it's not an arrow that can't miss if it can miss. Right. Correct. <laughs> Just straight up. So someone's lying somewhere.
0: They're in the writer's room.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <They're> Poop suit riot.
0: <laughs> Later. Regina is in Gold's shop looking for something to help her defeat Zelina, knocking books off the shelf in the process. Guillermo, no! (laughs) Best internet video. I Um, love that cat so much. Belle runs out from the back room, telling Regina to stop making a mess, and then asks what she's looking for. Regina tells her that she needs Belle's help to stop her sister, who currently possesses her heart. Belle gives her a nervous look, but Regina assures her that the heart is enchanted from Zelina's control. Regina asks Belle what she has in the shop to help her, but Belle scoffs and replies that she has self-respect and questions Regina why she would help a woman who has been so cruel to her.
1: You know what, Belle? I'm proud of you, girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this Belle moment is amazing. I'm so proud of her too. Like, this scene was fantastic and absolutely needed. Mm-hmm, absolutely.
0: Regina reminds Belle that Zelina is puppet mastering Rumple, and if Belle doesn't help her, and she may never see him again. Heartbreaking. The worst person you know just made a great point. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Additionally, Regina gives Belle the long overdue genuine apology she has owed the librarian for quite some time. Belle agrees to help and shares that she has been doing research on Zelina's curse. She asks Regina what is so special about her heart and why Zelina would want it. Regina says she doesn't know before asking Belle where the candle is. Belle holds up Lumiere's candelabra, but Regina corrects her by saying it's the one that Mary Margaret used to kill Cora. Belle opens up a drawer and takes it out, but reveals that it no longer holds power. Regina tells her that this isn't about how her mother died, but how she lived. We go back to the Enchanted Forest of the Pass, where a young Cora works in a tavern to support herself. Okay, but Rose
2: McGowan looks fine as hell in this scene. Oh,
0: fuck yes. Oh yeah, she looks
2: beautiful. Like, she she came into the scene and I just was like,
0: damn, girl, okay. Yeah, she looks so pretty. So pretty. The men are drunk, loud, and grossly handsy with her. Cora is roughly pushed against a handsome customer who takes her tray from her hands and insists that she sits with him as she has worked long past the end of her shift. The man reveals that he has been observing her the whole week he'd been patronizing the tavern, noting how her mannerism is that of a lady rather than a commoner. Cora says she tries to be better than what she is, a miller's daughter, who side hustles as a barmaid. The man, whose name is Jonathan, wishes he could stay but sadly must continue. He takes his coin pouch out and drops a handkerchief with the royal crest embroidered in the corner. Cora is awestruck, and the man feigns embarrassment saying he wanted her to get to know him as just a man, not the prince he really is. He flirts with her and is suddenly seized by inspiration, taking a piece of straw from the floor and twists it into a ring with which he uses to propose Decora.
1: No, oh, this would actually be cute if I hadn't already seen this episode before and knew exactly how this is about to go. So yeah. I'm just like, this guy's the worst.
0: The worst. <laughs> He promises to return in two weeks to replace the straw with gold. A starry-eyed Cora cannot help but being swept off her feet, and readily accepts. As they are set to be wed, Cora does not mind escorting Jonathan to his room, the heavy implication being that they consummated their nuptials. Listen, I'm all for trying on a pair of pants before you buy them. You know, wink, wink. But man, get to the enchanted planned parenthood. Consult with your local hedge witch about the correct
1: contraceptive for you. You know what I mean? I mean, they have magic in this world. I feel like that's something you could have figured out. Yeah. Some sort of magic birth
0: control. (laughs) We return to Storybrooke, where the charming swans and Hook are waiting for Regina to begin their daily anti-Zelena club meeting. When she spies Hook goofing with one of Zelina's green apples, Emma Riley warns him not to fuck around with the apples in this house. <laughs> her parents are having a tat, and David brings her into it, asking his daughter to side with him against naming the baby Leopold. Snow argues for the name of her late father, but David believes their son would be made fun of. I think Leopold is a cool name, but I just wouldn't name him that because Leopold was an absolute garbage dickbag.
2: Yeah... Sorry, Snow, but your dad sucked.
0: Yeah. Mary Margaret then suggests her mother's name. And someone really needs to inform Snow White that her parents were fucking awful.
2: (laughs) I think someone is going to inform Snow White. Yeah. one of the the points of this episode. I I think that's unfortunately one of the plot points of this episode. Someone (laughs) is about to inform Snow White that her parents were actually fucking terrible.
0: (laughs) And then introduce her to BehindTheName.com because it's a godsend for naming. (laughs) Blissfully, Regina's entrance ends the discussion as she carries in a teapot and fills up the tiny cups sitting around the table. David goes for his cup when Regina snaps at him not to drink it because it's a poison to help them summon the dark vortex. Apparently, Regina wants to join them on their hellish
1: crusade or something. But I don't get it. You don't get what? Regina wants to join them on their hellish crusade. What's what? What? <laughs> I don't get it. I'm not laughing at that. I'm
2: just laughing because the level of done Chell was. (laughs) You don't get what?
1: (laughs) I don't get it. I wonder what's the dark vortex i don't know i just like the adams family values reference oh it's an adams family values restaurant reference okay (laughs) i want to go to the adams i want to go to the restaurant (laughs) restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) okay sorry continue i understand now i just didn't understand what the reference was oh that's what i was wondering
0: i'm like wait did it was mine a grammar thing or you just hellish crusade
1: Hellish Crusade,
0: yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Hellish Crusade is like when her and Gomez were uh, sitting uh, in the graveyard, like, you know, around the house. And he's like, Caramilla, what's wrong? And she's like, well, I want what every mother and wife wants. I just wish I had time to join the dark forces and join their hellish crusade. Got it, okay. Commune, that's it, commune with the dark forces forces. and join their hellish crusade. Oh,
1: well, yes, okay. Okay, I get it. I understand now.
2: I okay. just want to go to the Addams Family Values restaurant.
1: I know, me too. That's I like the Beetlejuice know.
2: restaurant. Do you mean Beetle House, LA? Yeah. Have you been? Kind of. Because
0: I want to go to it so bad. I haven't been to it properly. I've been inside. I went to a goth speed dating. I got suckered into going oh, to a gothic I feel like speed I remember dating. you talking about that. Yeah, that was a few years. It was like 2019. So I went because I knew the girl who ran who ran that event so i went and inside yeah it's really cool and you could go to the bar you just couldn't like there was no more food because like it was like after hours there it's very neat inside very atmospheric i want to go to it so bad it looks so cool <gasps> oh wait no i did eat at it never mind okay so it used to be in a bigger space like directly on hollywood boulevard and then there was a fire and it, oh is that why it moved okay yeah and i've been now stalking it's, like, on them on social Vine? forever i think it's like on vine or Quenga or something they had uh, like a
2: kind of tug in cheek sort of cute see announcement being all like oops pipe burst half the restaurant burned down come see us our, our new location and i was like Jesus yeah so Christ. I,
0: I did okay yes all right so let me back up i went to the gothic be dating thing at the new location I don't, I don't, I never ate or drank anything, but it's cool. It was, it's much smaller though, like much, much smaller, but I did eat. I had the prefix meal at the original location when my friend Annie and I went to go see Aladdin at the Pantages and it was fabulous. It's it just looks
2: overpriced, so cool. but well, I figure, but any, I feel like any but, place where it's like, part of what you're paying for is the ambiance it's the ambiance there's
0: lots of performers and stuff like like the one who was honestly the best was the creepy willy wonka because it's all like tim burton cabaret basically yeah exactly i really want to go david mutters he prefers earl gray regina updates them on the morning's events and reveals that they are having a seance party Because what is a slumber party without pestering the dead? A lame one, that's what. I love that meme that goes around from time to time where it's like, can you imagine like a seance, like, you know, girls playing a Ouija board and they just get some medieval surf and they're like, oh my God, does Johnny like Becky? And he's just like, sure, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's gorgeous. He's just like, ah, (laughs) (laughs) i wish memes were around when i was a kid like that i probably would have fucked with a ouija board even more to be honest (laughs) at the farmhouse zelina is admiring regina's heart before locking it up with her other stolen trinkets including the hilt of david's sword she then takes a suit out of a wardrobe and gives it to mr gold to put on so they can celebrate her acquisition of the ingredients that she has minus the charming baby which is due any day gold does not want to comply. But when Zelina gives him the choice of screaming agony versus dinner with her, eh, he reluctantly goes for the latter.
1: Zelina apparently is also very upset about Mr. Gold's suit covered in bird poop, but she caused this. She Purple. caused the poop suit riot. She, did. she just She wants to
0: ruin another one. <laughs> She's
2: like, She's like do you like this one? Don't get attached. It'll be covered in bird shit soon enough.
0: <laughs> Back at Regina's, she explains the fairly straightforward ritual hesitantly admitting that more people do not speak with the dead because the murderer and murder weapon needs to be present. Although it's not like everybody was murdered, Regina, when they died. But if you just want to talk to Gramp
2: gramp who had a heart attack.
0: Yeah. It's just like Regina, not everybody was murdered, believe it or not. That's not how everybody died.
2: I mean I know that's not how everybody it generally how... went in your life, but still. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. It's like, well, yeah, everyone you know was murdered. Because but that's you are doing the murdering. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: Why would Snow White do this? <laughs> Regina lights the
0: black flame candle. Uh, I mean, the no longer magic candle. Tells everyone to hold hands and think about Cora. The fire in the fireplace goes out and a spiritual vortex opens up above them. Regina calls for her mother not to ignore her and just come down but the vortex swirls silently for a bit before closing up. Disappointed, Regina blows out the candle, surmising that her mother does not want to talk, thus keeping the details of her past as dead and buried as she is. Back in the past, on a dreary rainy day some two months later, Cora is standing by the crossroads, waiting for Jonathan's return. Hopelessly, she unties the straw ring and drops it into the mud. Walking past the royal gardens, she miraculously finds Jonathan under a pavilion on the royal estate. Overjoyed, Cora runs to him, asking him what happened, that she never stopped believing he was an honest man despite the doubts of her friends. To her shock, she discovers that he is not a prince, but a gardener. He victim blames her, calling her a harlot for sleeping with him. As he attempts to walk off, Cora demands that he give financial support for his unborn child, whom she is pregnant with. She desires enough money to support the child and warns him of the consequences should the prince he is employed under find out that he is treating her this way. The scoundrel quarrels at her threat, prompting Cora to shout for the guards to help her. Jonathan knocks her down and dashes off. Ugh, this breaks my heart. Rose McGowan is so fucking good. I just need to say that first because her doe eyes for wanting to believe that he was a good guy really hits me in the feels. But the way she is able to pivot with such grace when he so cruelly rejects her and adapt to the new reality of the situation is just really awe-inspiring. Like, you really understand, like, her true strength for, like, survival. I have a friend who was abandoned by an utter asswipe who knocked her up, and she has been killing it as a single mom for, like, the last eight, nine years. Not to mention my own mom. Who had two awful husbands and was on her own with my brother before she could even legally vote or drink. So, hats off to the single moms out there. As Cora remains on the ground, her new reality sinking in, a friendlier voice offers assistance. Without looking up, a hollow voiced Cora replies that there was a bandit on the road who took everything she had. The man apologizes and offers his hand and his help. She does not believe that he can help, but he wishes to try anyway. She accepts his hand as he introduces himself, Prince Leopold. Breathlessly, Cora thanks him and allows herself to be escorted.
1: Prince Leopold isn't even that young when young Cora meets him. So how old was he when Regina had to marry him? Basically inches
2: from becoming dust. Like,
0: oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> Rose. The crypt keeper, essentially.
0: <laughs> don't, don't shame my son like that I love my boy Crypt Keeper <laughs> <laughs> he's my man I was not sure where that was going and the payoff
2: was great
0: <laughs> he's my man I lo- I have loved the Crypt Keeper <laughs> since I was a very small
2: child I saw Equipty I'll not drag your good name <laughs> <laughs>
0: We return to Storybrooke, where the gang exits Regina's library with hopes for Belle's efforts and Emma promising to continue practicing magic. Snow stays behind while the others leave. Regina tells her she is not in the mood for a heart-to-heart, to which Mary Margaret quips, I'm not sure that's physically possible right now. This lightens the mood and Regina accepts her help. The camera pans over to a mirror or portal?
1: As it shrinks in on itself, it's the front door disappearing. It's so they can't leave. It's just it's it's covered oh. over with a blank wall. Oh, okay, that was weird. Yeah, it's a front I door, hadn't... so it's it's a very typical like haunted house thing that the front door disappears. So there's no way in, no way out. It's the ghost trapping them in that area, which is a it's a pretty common like haunted.
0: Oh, okay. Haunted I didn't know thing. what the fuck yeah. I was. Well, I li- I totally rewound it. I was like, what the f- what am I looking at?
1: Also, I really loved the Snow and Regina scene, and all of them that follow in this episode. These two actresses are so good in this one, and even the writing for them is particularly strong, and where the writing is a little weak in some places in this episode, with Snow and Regina, it's, it's on. These scenes are great. Back in the past, Cora and Leopold are walking and enjoying each other's company. The prince
0: realizes that Korra is cold and confesses he does not know how to build a fire, otherwise he would. Korra does, however, and resourcefully borrows his dagger to use against a rock to get a spark going. Leopold admits he wishes to be a king of the people, but recognizes his own helplessness. Korra teaches him how to start the fire. They snuggle close on a log near the fire as Leopold shares that he must marry soon and start a family, so that he will have an heir. Korra asks if he has anyone in mind. And why, yes, he does. Princess Ava. Oh, joy. Leopold reveals that he has been engaged to Princess Ava since her birth, despite their disgustingly huge age difference. Leopold also shares that he has yet to meet Ava, but he will that very night. He is frustrated that he never had a choice in the matter, which prompts Cord to ask, what's the point of having power if you can't choose whom to wed? That's very ironic. <laughs> a very ironic line for her that's true
1: because she she doesn't give that choice to her daughter nope well because
2: i guess in that instance her daughter wasn't the one who had power
1: that's true that's true true. like cora held the
0: power we return to storybrook where snow apologizes to regina for murdering cora she admits that she does not take it lightly and thinks about her actions every day regina thinks about it as well but she reminds herself that cora killed snow white's mother and the situation is just a hot mess of complications.
1: This exchange was so great. Lana and Jennifer just killed this. These conversations here between these two, they they feel like a great payoff on the evolution of the extremely messy history of these two. And I just really liked these scenes.
0: Regina realizes her mother walled off a lot from her, but she is flabbergasted that her mother hid Zelina's existence from her. <sighs> Listen, listen, these are some treacherous waters the showrunners are dipping into. You can't condemn a woman for her choices. Like, yeeting a baby into a cyclone was probably not the best family planning, but it had exactly zero to do with you, Regina. I mean, are you sure? That, that eating a baby into a cyclone isn't the best family planning
1: solution? Yeah, are you sure? (laughs) Oh no.
0: I mean, well, we learned that she doesn't even yeet her into the cyclone. Cyclone just, you know, sort of yeets her herself? Yeah.
1: Is Selena, hoisted like, upon like, her
0: own petard. Yeah, is
1: Selena like accidentally calls it with her baby magic. It's Maybe. kind of what I thought when I was watching. I was, I, like, guess. I was like, Is that her baby magic like summons the tornado? No, it can't be. It can't be her baby magic. Remember, we agreed
0: she got her magic from the same so from the mm. From the cyclone itself. Because this is just a regular baby from regular people. It has to be.
1: What if this jerky gardener actually has like a magical heritage. It's no it's generation.
0: I, 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 I can't. I can't. The mental gymnastics.
1: His I uncle is to Gary do.
2: the Wizard.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he does children's parties. Head cannon accepted. Is that from
0: Charlie the Unicorn?
1: No. <laughs> I think it's just from Lynn's brain. It's just from
2: Lynn. <laughs> oh, okay. I just came a Gary the Wizard. Gary the Wizard. He does children's parties. <laughs> does children's parties. <laughs> And bar mitzvahs,
0: Elia. I don't know where I was going with this. This thought—I had a thought, and then Gary the Wizard sort of just took over. You're welcome. He made—he made my thoughts disappear. Ta-da! It's his magic.
2: He's so powerful. He made them disappear. It's magic.
0: He's really good, you guys. I deserve a gold medal for all the mental gymnastics that I am doing for this fucking episode. <laughs> all right anyway they hear thumping and rattling upstairs and go up to investigate like morons <laughs> not really but, i mean that you is know, kind of horror movie
2: one-on-one is... yeah
0: don't follow the noise no you don't chase the noise no but then again you have regina who is a very powerful magic user so there you go whatever that noise is i'ma fuck it up yeah exactly the noise is emanating from a supposedly empty room why the fuck do you have an empty room why do you have an empty room in your house? When Regina touches the door handle, it blows off and reveals the specter of a young Cora at a spinning wheel.
1: I love that Cora was like, "My ghost form will be young and hot. Deal with it." I mean, if you
2: can be Rose McGowan, why wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, I would expect nothing less. I mean, don't get me wrong, Barbara, Barbara Hershey Hershey's hot, hot too. as hell. Yeah, but I can, but that, it's, is it's a, that is a big Cora move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, "I'm gonna." i'm gonna go when my tits were at its perkiest yeah. <laughs> i mean she would yeah she absolutely would
1: dear fair folk when the narrators three initially embarked on this quest the land without magic was cursed with a plague its presence made a weekly show possible However, while the plague still exists, it's no longer an impressive force in our lives. Our realm has opened up, and we are able to resume the vibrant lives we once held prior to the curse. In light of this, the Narrators 3 have decided that it is in everyone's best interest to switch to a bi-weekly schedule, effective immediately. This shift will allow us to maintain the quality of the podcast while avoiding personal burnout. We hope you understand and will continue with us on this magical journey called Once Upon a Rewatch. Graciously, The Narrators 3. Basically, we're moving the show from uh, a once-a-week release to an every-other-week release. I know that means you'll be getting, you know, half the content per month that you used to, but we hope with this change we can bring you the best show possible. So please stick with us. We, We love and appreciate you.
0: Meanwhile, at Granny's, Emma is trying to practice her magic and successfully makes a mug of hot chocolate disappear. She gloats to Hook at her success and makes his hook disappear. Hook doesn't think it's funny, as it is bad form to tamper with a man's hook.
1: Emma, he needs that! That's that's his hand! No, but I'm so proud of her! Look at her! She's <laughs> doing all this cool magic stuff. She's, Look at, very she's been taking lessons I'm, from Gary she's... the
0: Wizard, clearly! <laughs> she's making shit disappear! <laughs>
1: She's so, she's so, like, giddy and pleased about it in this episode. She's really Mm -hmm. cute. Yeah.
0: Emma asks what's bugging him, which prompts him to apologize for his rudeness with an excuse of a story too long to share at that moment. They're interrupted when Belle rushes into Granny's and reveals that she has figured out what Zelina's plans are. Back at Zelina's house. okay. Oh, boy. Zelina steps back and admires Mr. Gold in his suit, saying he ought to have a woman dress him more often. Never mind the man dressed just fucking fine by himself for 28 years and she took one of his suits. God, she is so stupid. Okay. On, <laughs> on with the show. On with the show. Mr. Gold asks how much civility he will have to endure before Zelina's true purpose is revealed. Zelina is gross and handsy, playing like it's a dinner date, and she takes out meat pies from the oven and taunts Gold about her plans. This scene is so uncomfortable. Selina claims that her secret will reunite Gold with Balefire as she is going to be pulling off some tiny whiny bullshit spell which Gold does not believe is possible. She counters that magic doesn't fail, people fail. Selena is going to use her TARDIS baby spell to turn back time and take the life she believes she was denied, while Gold can go back and never give Bay up in the first place. Back at Regina's house, Spookum's Cora makes a go at Mary Margaret because she sensed that Snow killed her. Regina holds Cora back, but she will be unable to for very long. This
2: is some of the weirdest CGI on this show. And that's really saying something.
1: Yeah, I didn't like the way her face, like her face hovered above her
2: body. It was. It didn't really connect with it. It was like they made the body first and then put Rose McGowan's face on last and didn't bother to blend them.
1: Yeah. I don't know if they are going for that look or what, but it was very disjointed. I don't don't know.
2: I just know that in a show with lots of real weird CGI, this is
0: some of the weirdest and that's kind of an achievement. In the enchanted forest of the past, a regally dressed young Cora is admiring her engagement ring from Prince Leopold. Jonathan finds her and threatens to reveal that she is pregnant with his child unless she gives him gold and anything she can get her grubbies on. Between a rock and a hard place, Cora agrees planning to meet him at the pavilion the next night. The camera pans and we see that Princess Ava has overheard the whole conversation. Uh, first of all, fuck this asshole. He compares his extortion of Cora to her trying to get literal child support from him. Fuck you, dude. Also, I hate Ava so much. Like, why the fuck is she just hanging around in her stupid ball gown? Go find an age-appropriate husband. Yeah, that was
2: the thing I had too. I was like, why is she just chilling there? Like, that's fucking casual, okay. Yeah, casually in her ball gown. Yeah, it's like, fucking weird.
0: <laughs> she's a weird girl. She's a snoop. That's what she is. Anyway. And she's
2: very young.
0: Very young. She, I mean, she's very
2: young. She's literally called a child multiple times throughout yes. this episode. Yeah. Which lends to my idea that this character is supposed to be a teenager.
1: hmm And it's fucking gross. Yep, uh-huh. and... All she's probably been told her whole life is your purpose is to marry this king, and now this king doesn't want you. And I actually feel a little bad for this kid who, like, sure, but that's not Cora's yeah. problem. You know, no, and that's not, that's Cora's not Cora's fault problem. either. You it's, know, it's, and that's
0: and this little dum dum is very misguided and yes. like misdirected where her ire should be at. You yes, know? absolutely. Anyway, back in story. Mary Margaret is apologizing to Cora's spirit as Regina struggles to hold off her mother. However, she's determined as she tells Snow, if she wants to kill you, she's going to have to go through me. This touches Mary Margaret, but Regina clarifies that this is
1: about herself and her mother. I love Snow's little shocked face when Regina protects her. Like, it was really cute. She's so touched she's so surprised and touched <laughs> mm-hmm. and then regina's like hey, you know don't
0: mistake it this I, <laughs> yeah. I don't care I, it's not about you man it's about me
1: and snow's like oh Aw. no you don't like, like you or anything I
0: don't like I like you.
1: <laughs> she releases cora who
0: slaps regina away so she can take possession of mary margaret's body snow collapses into a chair and is able to see cora's pass. Back in the past, Cora is prowling the Great Hall looking for items she may use to send off her extorter when Leopold shows up and informs her that a rumor has been going around, saying Cora is pregnant. Cora maintains her pretense, begging forgiveness if this lie has caused her fiancé distress. Leopold tells her that gossip means nothing to him so long as he can trust Cora. She takes his hands and promises there is no baby, only her love for him. Princess Ava steps out from the shadows, accusing Cora of only loving herself. Princess Ava told Prince Leopold about her rendezvous with Jonathan, but Cora accuses her of being a jealous brat. Ava tells Leopold to check Cora's pockets, where he finds the jewels she stole to give to Jonathan so her secret would remain a secret. The guards take Cora away as Princess Ava bemoans pitiful, pathetic Prince Leopold, poor little rich boy problems. But don't worry he'll soon have a good wife and a child as pure as snow are we supposed to think these two assholes are the good guys surely we're not right i mean i think the point is we're not supposed
2: to since emma kind of loses that in the next scene and later snow kind of has to grapple with oh shit my mom was actually bad question mark but like i know we've talked about it Putting that aside, Ava is so much younger than him, and it makes me like really deeply uncomfortable watching them interact in this scene.
1: Yeah, it's it's super uncomfy. It's and so then uncomfortable. You, and then you imagine that an even older Leopold marries an even younger Regina later. Yeah, barf. barf. Ugh. Barf. Barf. But this episode is definitely telling us that Leopold and Ava are the bad guys in the situation, or at least they have fault in this situation. I think the actual point of it is not necessarily that the bad guys are good guys, but it's that people are not black and white. And that even people who grow to be better, like like Ava, we do see in the future that, you know, she reprimands Snow White for looking down on someone beneath her, for, for looking down on non-royalty. We see that there has been some growth as a person, but even someone that has kindness they could have inflicted cruelty in the past. And I think this is a very intentional story this episode is trying to tell because it has the juxtaposition with Regina, who is also being shown having grown and doing these heroic deeds When she has, you know, done horrible things in the past. So Mm -hmm. there's definitely a reflection of that with this past storyline and this present day storyline. And since it's not a perfect episode, it's definitely not a perfect episode. It has a lot of problems. And I think this juxtaposition is one one of the smart things about this episode. One of the clever things about this episode. People could be a good guy and have done some really shitty things. People could have been a really shitty person and then gotten better. And sometimes people want to be better and their circumstances don't allow that. Heroes can can make mistake and show cruelty and villains can show kindness and that there is a capacity to change for better or for worse that people evolve. And I think that's interesting. I, I like that about this episode. It's an episode about how things aren't black and white. Things aren't good and evil. Things aren't heroes and villains, you know? People can have both of those parts in them. Gotcha.
0: Back in Storybrooke, Regina is able to remove Cora from Mary Margaret's body just as David, Emma, and Belle burst through the door. Cora is sent back into her portal. Mary Margaret is out of it, prompting David and Regina to bicker over priorities before Belle interjects that she knows what Zelina is planning. Time travel. Mary Margaret comes to, revealing that Cora did not want to give up Zelina, but was forced to due to princess ava's wrongdoings which prompts the most out of character dumbass line ever forced out of emma's mouth well i thought we were the good guys it's such a henry line you know it's not like like i don't know i feel like Emma's just
1: a little more savvy for that but well, yeah, every whatever. so often she has she definitely has a line like that all right like, like the like, turducken line <laughs> like turducken
0: <laughs> she knows what regina has to then spell out life is too messy for it to ever be that simple Zelina's likely plan is to kill Ava so that Zelina could have been born in royalty as Cora had planned, thus erasing Snow, Regina, Emma, and Henry alike. They realize the key ingredient is the charming baby, but Zelina cannot act until the baby is born. Time is currently on their side, but not for long. In the Enchanted Forest of the Past, Cora is seen giving birth to Zelina with the help of a midwife. Shortly thereafter, Cora carries the baby in her bassinet out into the forest. She sets the basket down and imparts the only lesson she has. Life is cruel and full of betrayal. Damn, Cora. That's cold. It is cold. And it's so sad because, like, yes, she, she's a very, like, savvy person. Like, you know, like, she's savvy. She's sassy and stuff. But, like, before the Jonathan incident, like, you know, she really wanted to believe, you know, She wanted to believe that something was better out there for her, you know, and that she was being swept off her feet. You know, it's a very, you know, she's very naive and it's so sad to like then come to this. It's also a sort
2: of a depressing flip mirror. Because when she sets baby Zelina down, she says, "I'm doing this to give myself my best chance." Yeah, which mm-hmm. mirrors the first episode where they're like, "We have to send baby Emma away to give her her best chance."
1: Yeah, so it's that. But this
2: is she's sending the baby away to give herself the chance. Yeah, right? so
1: it's selfish, not selfless. Yeah, it's the well, inverse it's a hard situation no, no matter what. But it's it's a yeah it's a selfish choice, unlike charming, which is the selfless choice
0: yeah i mean i guess the the better option probably would have been for her to like find a family for the baby yeah that's the thing leave her in the woods
2: <laughs> that's the thing she left the child in the woods yeah to presumably be uh, eaten by wild animals i that's don't know the, that's the I, hard
1: thing
0: that is hard and everything but like you know i'm i guess i'm sitting here going yeah but like she's alone she's scared she's humiliated beyond belief She's got probably no friends. She's probably dealing with like the worst kind of postpartum depression. And people do desperate things that they normally wouldn't do in like the right state of mind. And I just feel like she wasn't in the right state of mind. You know,
1: absolutely. And she never really is. Again, all decisions moving forward are selfish. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: She confesses to the infant that this is the only way she can have a better chance shortly after cora walks away a cyclone is seen swirling in the sky above see cora didn't eat the baby into the cyclone the cyclone took the baby of its own whim missed opportunity
2: really i mean yeah <laughs> also we've established it wasn't the cyclone's own whim
1: it was wizard gary
0: yeah wizard <laughs> gary
1: i like wizard that it became wizard gary instead of just baby Zelina. i like that wizard <laughs> Gay- <laughs> so gary wizard listen he's very
2: talented and we should give him credit where credit is due
1: and the thing is the thing is he summoned that cyclone on accident because he's a little clumsy he actually was following her around because he was going to adopt that baby and take good care of it could be like i failed with my gardener's son he's an asshole i'm going to raise this baby but he accidentally summoned that cyclone
0: yeah
1: <laughs> oh what a tale
0: what a tale what a tale
1: <laughs> okay it, it's chapping my ass now it's chapping
0: my ass oh, i don't no. I don't like that the narrative is setting up to be like that mirror of like, oh, this is supposed to be like a selfish thing. You know what? Fuck you. <laughs> not to you guys, obviously. Me? <laughs> no, not you guys. No, no. I'm, I'm pointing, I'm pointing very directly at like the, the word document that I'm reading off my notes for as they're the representative of the writer. I'm just like, you know what, you guys, fuck you guys. She does deserve her best chance.
2: I, I mean, let's be fair though. This isn't like the first time the show will make a shitty and let's face it, kind of misogynistic
0: turn. Yeah. No. No. Oh God. No. So it will it's not, it is not the first, and it certainly won't
1: be the yeah, last. Yeah. So
2: like, it's disappointing, but not surprising. I guess is yeah. what I'm going with. Yeah. very That go. they
1: took that turn. I yeah. just wish they had had her leave the baby on a doorstep or something even a little yeah. bit better. Because dropping her in the middle of the woods is cruel. Yeah yeah
0: exactly and it's it just sets it up like really is that the message that you want to send to your viewers to your young and impressionable viewers that's good that's
1: great like no wonder Zelina went off the rails she got a vision of oh my mom just dumped me in the woods right if you have an unwanted baby you just
0: dump them at the enchanted firehouse okay that's that's all you have to do no questions asked
1: There's got to be good fairies or something somewhere that like, yeah, it's a fairy. It's
2: the enchanted forest. That's like,
1: that's such a fucking fucking trope it's like,
2: and then three fairies, goodly fairies happened upon the babe in the woods and raised her as their own. And they called her Briar Rose, that shit.
1: Zelina could have been saved by those fairies, but the Blue Fairy had them work in some dumb assignment and they had to stay late. Well, you know what? She probably had some
0: stupid ass like vision, like Rumpelstiltskin does, the convenient vision where she knows that Cora's daughter is going to like bring a curse upon their land. So she's like, well, you better yeet that baby in the woods. (gasps) She summoned the cyclone. She summoned the cyclone.
2: There's the Blue Fairy all along. if it wasn't for the blue fairies alina would have just like grown up singing to animals and dancing barefoot in the forest and getting lopsided birthday cakes damn
0: i also think it's a little like incorrect when snow's like no she wanted to have the baby but you know if it was and for my mom and i was like she did not want that she didn't want that baby
2: yeah i think i think snow has pregnancy brain yeah so she's like i want this baby so of course when i'm flooded with these emotions i also assume cora wanted that baby because yeah. while there is like this moment of sweetness when she's explaining to babies alina there's not really any indication that she does want this baby and that this baby is anything other than kind of an
0: inconvenience
2: i don't want to say as dramatic as a death sentence but like no
0: an inconvenience you know and like but kind of close like it's like she's you- not gonna have the life she wanted to
2: get yeah like yeah. she could have these things and now she can't because she has to deal with the damn baby Mm-hmm. damn baby damn baby <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's big themes in this episode, man. This is this is, this the, is the, difficult the, stuff. This
0: is this is like way too big for their britches.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is more like than a show like Once Upon awful. a Time
2: really can chop off. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> I think Once Upon a Time bit off more than they can chew moral-wise this time. Many times, honestly.
0: Oh, exactly. Back at Selena's house, Gold thanks his captor as he clears the table. Gold explains that Zelina has shown him something he ought to have realized long ago. Gold admits he made a mistake of wronging Zelina, as it only hurt them both. Gold pours them wine as Zelina says that mistakes should no longer haunt them, especially as history will be wiped clean. They toast to that. Gold tries to get cute and flirty, and things get too gross and weird for me to be able to comfortably describe. In reality, Rumple was going for the dagger, but alas, Selina catches him and resends her offer to save Neil. Gold reminds her that Neil sacrificed his life so that gold could stop Zelina, and he intends to honor that. Zelina sends him back to his cage.
2: This scene is so icky, I literally crumpled in on myself watching it. It's big barf hours over here, lads. Mm-mm.
0: And like, I love, though, that Rumble was like, I'm not going to tarnish my son's memory and sacrifice. I'm going to do exactly what he wanted me to do. No, good on him. And I'm just like, and I love that, you know, like, because like, like Regina, he has come so far. Yeah. You know, like growth wise. And I know what's coming down the pipeline. And it just, I'm trying to just savor
1: these characters as they are right now. Right now. I know some big right old back, back pedals happen season four. Yeah. Anyway, okay, but this scene is gross. No, scene is it's so gross, and that's yeah, why I'm so not even gross. discussing it. I'm just like, I, can't <laughs> I was even. just like, I don't. Is this allowed? I don't want. I shouldn't be watching this.
0: <laughs> yeah. I I just I kept yelling
2: barf at the screen <laughs> when we were watching it. I just I was like barf this. ah barf. I hate it here.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile. At Regina's house, Regina and Mary Margaret make amends about their past, realizing their history is a lot more complicated than they initially realized. They're able to make a couple of giggles about it before getting serious about the fight against Selena. Mary Margaret gives Regina an excellent pep talk, believing Regina can use her immense depth of feeling to lead herself to happiness. She need not hold back. This is such a great scene. I hate that I know this show slips backwards, as I just said. Regina and Snow on the same side is so rewarding because these moments are precious. I also like the idea of them healing from childhood trauma together.
1: Yes, all of Regina's and Snow's scenes this episode, but especially this one. They're so good. Like, these scenes show such growth and understanding. I love them. They're they wonderful. That night in the forest, Robin Hood is tending to a
0: fire alone when Regina walks up. Leaping to his feet, Robin Hood again profusely apologizes for losing Regina's heart to Zelina, promising to get it back. Wordlessly, Regina grabs the archer and kisses him. Yeah. End (laughs) credits.
1: Okay, so while I don't like everything in this episode, and I feel like we've talked about kind of what I I didn't like already, because there are some pretty icky story beats. Mm Mm-hmm. I do have to say, I, I do have a lot of fondness for it because of the Regina and Snow scenes. It really illustrates how far they've come and how each of them are a complicated person and their history with each other is complicated. But despite it all, they have come to respect and care about each other. No matter how rocky the road has been that led them to these hearts to hearts, they're here now. And I think this Regina and Snow, like the B plot of the episode, with them dealing with the ghost of Korra and the trauma that surrounds both of their relationships with Korra and each other was extremely well done. That specific plot is probably my favorite part of the Oz art so far that we've watched in this rewatch. Another moment I did really enjoy about this episode was Belle and Regina's exchange in Mr. Goldshot. So basically, I really loved every scene. That was Regina and a princess that she is making amends with Um, that she's she's growing. And they're having these like, you know, these harder conversations showing understanding and growth. And I really like those the writing and performances and those scenes really made this episode for me. So I kind of wish that was the A plot instead of like the B plot here, but. It's a shame there are other moments here that just kind of skis me out. Mm. Like the Zelina and Rumpel C plot and all the icky consent issues there. And the the Korra arc, I I kind of wish season two, episode sixteen, The Miller's Daughter, was the only Korra flashback we got. Because that one was so strong. And as much as I enjoy Rose McGowan, I don't necessarily think this extra layer to her story was needed. But overall i I liked it other than very specific like that's not okay things in both Zelena Rumple plot and in the the core flashbacks
2: I mean I guess I didn't hate this episode I possibly liked it better than last week but I gotta say it was it was icky it had a lot of icky scenes I didn't like <laughs> and also just that two women would be in competition for a man as deeply stupid and mediocre as Leopold is just what and he's so much older than Ava and it's so nasty like yeah she's a bitch but I also want to call child protective services Mm -hmm. because it's uh, uh. (laughs) ah, yeah but I will I will echo Elisa in that I thought Regina and Snow subplot was a bright spot and a very good showcase of character development on both women's parts but I can't get over how gross I felt about everything else
0: Mm mm-hmm I'm very sad that this is probably the last Rose McGowan we see in this show because I adore young Cora. However, I'll say it again until I'm blue in the face. None of this backstory was necessary, and in fact, spits directly in the beauty of the Miller's daughter. Never mind the firstborn nonsense that has no place fucking being here. There is no logic to all these additional details. Okay, one, Cora lived in the kingdom ruled by King Xavier, her future father-in-law. Ava and Cora did not recognize each other in that episode. I can believe that Ava would not because, you know, arrogant rich people don't recognize the low working class. But sure as shit, Cora would have known her. This means Leopold did not marry Ava right away. He likely took some time and eventually came around to marrying Ava when she was like, you know, a proper adult. And I I think there's actually evidence to support this. Because one, Ava was still a visiting princess at Henry's Ball. And then two, by the time she dies, it's been over two decades and, you know, snow's only 10. So it's either he marries her right away or not long after. And I I feel like some time has passed between Cora and Henry getting together, even if that time is only a couple of years. But we know that Ava is not queen yet. so. He obviously does delay in marrying her. I'm going to assume he doesn't marry her until, who knows, maybe mid 20s, late 20s. Who the fuck knows? Either way. And he was old. You know, he was older when Snow was born. I I just, I think there's evidence to say that, like, you know, he didn't actually have like a complete child bride. They're still, like, you know, stupidly far apart in age. But this is, this to me is the most egregious scent. Leopold would have recognized Cora. He would have one. 100% known her when the whole Snow and Regina horse incident happened, which makes it all extra, like super gross and creepy that he then marries a young Regina who was likely, I think we all said, in her 20s. Yeah,
1: pretty early 20s. Yeah.
0: yeah. So it's just like, what? He forgot this woman he was very briefly engaged to and he just assumed, like, oh, her name was also Cora. I don't
2: know. Well, Me. I mean, he's quite old. His brain's <laughs> starting to. With- oh, yeah.
0: It's <laughs> trying to turn into oatmeal. I mean, my
1: my uh, head headcanon when we rewatched The Stable Boy for the podcast with the knowledge of uh, having seen season three and being like, oh, oh, man, they almost got they almost got together. They're engaged. He doesn't look her in the eye or directly talk to her, I don't think, once. So I guess if you wanted to like hand wavy, make it connect, he doesn't even acknowledge her. Like he he's given her that cold shoulder, but it's really because they just didn't have this planned, you know? Right.
0: Like, and can, I, and I feel like he would way. have been such a snot. Like, I feel like he would have been like, well, I didn't trust you then. You're a liar. And now, you know, like, I don't want to marry your daughter because she's probably tainted because, you know, you're a liar.
1: I don't know. Or maybe means. he's so old and also he's like, so old his... himself. Clearly yeah. no other like royal or regal person uh, would have married the Cora he was engaged to. So clearly this is not the same person,
2: you know? Right. Also, he probably doesn't remember last Tuesday at that point.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <it's> true. <sighs> obviously, the real explanation is just to what this wasn't planned. Yeah,
0: obviously. Um, and it's like, I shouldn't have to go through these, these mental gymnastics to decipher the retconning and narrative that the writers keep trying to jam into this show. The saving grace of this episode is Rose McGowan and the relationship between Snow and Regina, as mentioned, of course, by my co-host. I'm going to gloss over the grossness of... Selena and her very uncomfortable character, because frankly, I'm tired of being a broken record about that. I'm tired, y'all. I'm so, so
1: tired. <laughs> so let's talk about some costumes instead. Ooh. My favorite outfit in this episode is definitely Cora's barmaid dress in the first scene. It's so cute, but Cora almost always looks flawless. Actually, maybe she always looks flawless. Has there ever been a bad Cora outfit? No. I
2: mean, there was that one time she wore that pantsuit that scared me. Mm. But other than that, no. And
1: Barbara Hershey still looked super fly in that pantsuit. It scared me. <laughs> <laughs> Regina looks smoking in that blue
0: dress with the intricate folds at the beginning of the episode. I did like Zelina's outfit too, except
1: the ridiculous the creaky one. Yeah, the creaky one. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nice um, outfit. It was a nice outfit. It, it was a nice freaked. outfit. It just it, yeah. It just it sounds just, like it would be noisy. Yeah. And I love all of Cora's
0: outfits, peasant and princess-to-be outfit as well. Yeah, she has one of the best wardrobes on the show. Absolutely. All right. It's time to play Who's That Guest Star? In Season 3, Episode 18, we have David Latour. Viewers may recognize Kiwi actor David Latour from his roles on Being Eve, What I Like About You, Power Rangers, Jungle Fury, (laughs) (laughs) and a show called West Side, where his character is Ted West, and it made me go, "Boo yeah, Teddy
1: Westside."
0: <laughs> <laughs> we all got that one right.
1: No, oh, it's so from it's How I, I Met Your met Mother. Mother's it's Mother's How I yeah. Met Your Mother. Oh, yeah. it is from How I Met Your Mother. Oh my it god, it comes up
0: yes. multiple times.
2: But the most notable is when him and Barney are both drunk and competing over Robin, and it's they're like, "It's me, I'm Teddy Westside." And he's like, "Well, I'm Barn Door." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they both are drunk and stupid and pass nice. out, and Robin's like, "Hey." Teddy Westside, barn door, you need to get out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I
1: remember. Oh, that show was so good until it till it wasn't. Till it wasn't. Pretty much, yeah.
0: Eric Lang as Prince Leopold. American actor Eric Lang is most recognizable from his roles on TV shows such as *Weeds*, *Narcos*, *The Man in the High Castle*, *Easy to Assemble*, *Victorious*, and the reimagining of *Perry Mason*, which is a baller show. Watch it!
1: (laughs) All right, it's time to ask Wizard Gary to explain the timeline, but he's not here, so it's me. All right, so the Do you know he's not here? He's very good. (laughs) Oh no! All right. So the flashbacks on this episode most closely follow those seen in Season 1, Episode 5, That Still Small Voice, which ends with Jiminy watching over a young Geppetto. The episode that most closely follows this one is the opening flashbacks in Season 3, Episode 16, It's Not Easy Being Green, as that opening scene shows the immediate aftermath of Korra abandoning Selena in the forest. And baby Zelina being whisked away in the cyclone. And that's it. We got some uh, nice questions and observations coming in on Tumblr, some of which are anonymous. Really appreciate it. And I think there are some really interesting observations there too. Just a note, uh, especially with anonymous things, since this is a spoiler-free podcast, we're going to keep things to what we've discussed so far. Um, so we can't publish the response to questions or observations dealing with spoilers. episodes we haven't covered yet so just a reminder there but we do really appreciate it i thought your comment was really interesting the one that recently had some season four spoilers in it but also Chell is the one who answers questions on the tumblr and we are almost at the time that narrator Chell hasn't seen it so lynn and me have seen to almost the end of season five But Chell has actually not seen four or five. Correct me. I don't want to speak for you, but. No, correct. I haven't seen any of four and five. So season three finale is going to be the last rewatch for Chell. It's going to be all new from here on out for her. Yep. So just a heads up, because me and Lynn have been doing our best trying not to spoil Chell. So if our listeners could, could help do that, that would be wonderful. So thank you so much. And you can always message me if you want to talk about anything later on.
0: Yeah, message her on Twitter, because we kind of share the Instagram. So I will see the Instagram sometimes as well. But yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Time for our Ransom raves. I had a pre Thanksgiving get together this Saturday and got to see one of my favorite queer comedians, Ashley Gavin at the Irvine Improv on Sunday. This whole week is super jam-packed with a lot of fun that I'm looking forward to. I'm also currently reading The Lost Girls by Sonia Hartle. It's a quick read YA novel about vampires and revenge. And I think my co-hosts would enjoy it. And uh, happy Slapsgiving to all that gorge upon it.
2: (laughs) Blessed Slapsgiving to you all.
0: God slaps us, everyone. (laughs)
2: god yeah it's funny because it's accurate oh and
0: andor fucking rules watch it y'all
1: oh i have we haven't started it yet but i'm not even gonna say anything that's just i'm just i'm just just saying
0: andor rules and i'm and i'm happy i'm just happy i'm just full of star wars feels well i mean chassian is my little meow meow (laughs) b2 emo is mine (laughs) but
2: i would expect nothing
0: less i was just gonna love a droid i fucking love a droid my lizard brain is now a tattoo brain and now i'm like like every time i watch a new episode of andor and b2 emo is on the screen like the lizard brain just goes we should get tattoos of all the droids and i'm just like no shut up that's not the aesthetic we're going for and they're like but droids, but, but, but. (laughs) bots, And I'm like, no, we just need a stuffed animal. That will, that will, that will suffice. I mean, not to enable, but I feel like you
2: could get like a really cute droids tattoo.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Oh no, absolutely. It's just, again, not really. Not to enable. No, 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 no.
2: But I'm also that guy who's always like, yo, get the tattoo because I love tattoos.
0: I I think the next one I'm honestly going to get is the, what is that Welsh Christmas horse skull? The lewd mari i don't know how to pronounce it correctly sorry that i'm butchering your language welsh people oh that guy yeah yeah, yeah right oh that guy yeah i love that guy i love that guy right and i'm like oh i need a tattoo of him yeah no he's fun hey cute boy
2: he is <laughs> just a little guy he's just a little guy <laughs>
0: he's just a little guy he's a puppet, puppet.
2: he's pooping house
0: he's a poopenhausen. i need some poopin' housing tattoos that is not pinocchio no you know for someone who absolutely fucking like loves a goddamn puppet i do not like pinocchio
2: listen there's exceptions to everything there's always one bad (laughs) apple yeah
0: (laughs) although i do want to watch the new guillermo del
2: toro pinocchio but that's because i love yeah it's it's
0: it's all um stop motion animation oh shit oh no now you've said the magic words okay, yeah like i'm, I'm like it. i
2: don't really like pinocchio but i love guillermo del toro and i love stop
1: motion and everything guillermo, seen for it yes! looks beautiful
2: <laughs> everything that man touches is gold so i want to watch
1: it yeah he is like and, one of the only like horror directors that i really love
2: because he what makes the thing more? that it's i'm the most garbage strong, huh? for he makes horror movies that are
0: beautiful and that is my catnip
2: mm-hmm I love a beautiful horror movie.
1: Yeah, this stuff is so good. Speaking of horror movies, Elisa. I uh, know. I so I watched a lot of movies last week for the first time because we've you know we've been home a lot with poor little convalescing Merlin. It um, looks like yeah. a triceratops right now. Yeah. <laughs> we watched some films from across the years that were new to me. The first of which was Scream. Uh, which I know came out in like 92 or something like that. So it's been a long time. 92? No, no, no. Like 97, 98. Was it 97, 98? Okay. Had to have been. I know everyone and their mother's seen it. I had never actually seen it before. I'm not really a horror movie person. I'm especially not a slasher movie person. I've taken some classes on the genre of horror. um, So I know a little, a little bit about the genre and I'm married to Lynn and I used to read her horror movie review blog religiously, so, like, I know a lot of stuff about the the genre and the motifs and all that fun stuff. And gosh, Scream was an excellent representation, like, of of the genre. It's like a love letter to the genre that also works on its own as a quality horror film. Like, I can admit, like, that was a, a great horror film. That was very well done. Every couple of days I keep coming at Lynn with observations of something really smart I thought it did. So I feel like she's actually appreciated that a little bit that I I'm like, look, I care about I care about this this horror movie. I think this is really clever. No, I have,
2: because usually it's me shouting into a void about this horror movie that you haven't seen while you nod
1: politely. And then I'm just like, Lynn, I need to talk to you about the windows and the house designs for the various houses and scream because it's brilliant. Yeah. So, so, so I watched Scream for the first time and I actually liked it. So there we go. Did it give me some, some spooks? Yes, but I really enjoyed it. But at least you have someone to cuddle up to when you're scared. That's true. Also connection with this episode. It has Rose McGowan in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I didn't know that. It. I got yeah. to see a very, she's very cute in it. A very young Rose McGowan is she's... Uh, one of the main characters. Yeah. She's, she's very cute. Little strawberry blonde Rose McGowan. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. the main character's best friend. Um, super cute. Next up, we watched a, not specifically Halloween film, but a film that had very Halloween-y vibes, because Lynn and me are still doing Halloween in November. It came out last year called Night Books. It, it's a PG film that that felt very much like a kid's adventure films from the 1980s, but it didn't lean too hard on nostalgia, which I, I appreciated. It very much stood on its own. It was directed by Sam Rami and definitely felt like it had definitely some Evil Dead Army of Darkness vibes in it. It was both whimsical, but also strangely grounded and, and dark, but not too dark. Just like dark enough for that kind of creepy children's film. You know, it wasn't perfect, but I liked it. It was a, a modern version of Hansel and Gretel. And if you're someone who likes, you know, more classic films like like The Witches, Return to Oz, or even Lost Boys, which is kind of an important movie to this film, Hell or some, yeah. some of the newer stuff that's been really amazing, like The House with the Clock in the Walls, I think you would find this movie fun. Um, I just found it on a random list of the best Halloween streaming movies. And I said, hey, Lynn, this one sounds interesting. And she went, okay, let's do it. And I really liked it. And I've never heard anyone talk about Nightbooks before at all, but I thought it was very charming. I'm going to put it in my queue. I think I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll enjoy it. I definitely it. think you'd like it. Yay. Lastly, we watched Disenchanted on the day it came out. And I don't want to say too much because I know it's brand new. And I feel like a lot of folks who listen to this podcast are probably very excited for its release as well. One of the critiques that we've had quite a few times about Once Upon a Time Is the fact that the show will often talk about the importance of blood family being your real family and how that's kind of a fucked up message to send, you know, blood family being leaned on more than like an adoptive family, things like that. And one of the themes at Disenchanted's core is that family is not defined by blood and not being blood doesn't lessen the strength or importance of those you see as your family. And I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a cool message to send out. So overall, it was a good uh, new movie week for me. I I enjoyed um, what I watched. They're all very different things and I enjoyed it. Yeah. (laughs) So I've talked too long. So take it away, Lynn.
2: So Elisa touched on a lot of things I did too, because, hey, we're married and we do most things together. So there's that. But I also want to talk a little bit about Disenchanted too. I am not going to spoil anything because nothing I'm going to hit isn't anything you don't know from the trailers. but. I also really love that one of the messages at its core was your life doesn't have to be over just because you hit what the storybooks consider as happily ever after. Like it addresses right in the opening that fairy tales just historically seem to end when you get married. And it's just assuming that you never get to do anything again for the rest of your life. And it debunks that because both Giselle and Nancy are adults and not the typical teenage girl we usually get and they're your Disney princesses in this movie. And I think it also kind of struck a chord with me because it was one of the first times I felt like this sort of, like this kind of a movie was relatable to me in a weird way. Because when the first Enchanted came out, I was around the age Giselle is supposed to be in that movie. And while I hadn't fallen to a fairy tale land, I had moved away from college and I was in a new city full of new people and things where nothing was familiar. And I was learning to navigate that. And now... The year that I'm probably doing the most adult things ever, you know, house, marriage, all that. Here's Giselle. She's married. She's settling into life happily ever after and trying to find her place and where she fits into that. And that struck a really personal chord with me because I was like, this this is a parallel. And I don't know. This is getting a little rambly, but I liked that. Um, I had my Thursday night ritual, which is I watch a horror movie by myself after Lisa goes to bed because I don't work on Fridays and she does and i finally watched ready or not which i've been curious about for years and i loved it which is rare for me because a lot of horror movies really disappoint me quite often but it was honestly good and the final girl is spectacular and you cheer for her through the whole film like she's she is smart and she is tough and she does the whole thing in a wedding dress which is amazing And the ending is just the most weird, over-the-top, but satisfying payoff. And sometimes, apparently, all you need is just a good final girl that wrecks house, or at least that's all I need.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, Zelina threatens to kill Henry if Hook doesn't proceed with kissing Emma, which will drain all of her magical powers away. Meanwhile, back in the fairy tale land that was, during the past year, Snow and Charming go in search of Glinda, the Good Witch of the South, to see if she can help them defeat Zelina. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators Three. The moral of this episode is Hey, Wizard Gary, can you make all of the retcon and uncomfortable scenes disappear? Talk fairy tales with us on anchor.fm/slash Once Upon a Rewatch. Tweet us at Once Upon Rewatch. Participate in episodic polls on Instagram at onceuponrewatch. Follow us at onceuponarewatch.tumblr.com. If you enjoy Once Upon a Rewatch, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice. The artwork for our podcast was
1: by Laiji
2: We want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeod. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro music is Tale Waltz.
0: This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share
1: Alike License. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. Poop suit riot. Riot! I don't know what this is. Suit, suit riot. I don't know what this is. It's I, from I, the, I will
2: link it to you. It's oh, from no. the
1: Swing Revival. It's a song from the Swing Revival in the... Uh, late 90s early 2000s oh god
0: was it by pink martini or mighty mighty Ball Stones? no it's cherry pop and daddies oh, oh shit my
1: i haven't god. thought about them in
0: years wow okay well definitely they sit at the same table as brian setzer and oh yeah mighty mighty Ball Stones and oh yeah whoever the fuck i said pink martini mm-hmm. it's it's a fucking bop